consciousness, mindset, health, relationship, business. Welcome to the Aubrey Marcus Podcast. What's up, everyone? I'm here with my man, my good friend, Jesse Katz, founder of Roots of Fight, which is pretty much like the coolest clothing brand in the universe right now, I would say. brother. I mean, I was just at the UFC and tons of people wearing it there, but people wear some shitty stuff at the UFC, (laughs) so that isn't the best endorsement. But also, just looking at the list of the roster, the people who you have involved internally in your company, and then the people you have rocking your stuff. It's pretty impressive, man. So I'm looking forward to getting into a little deeper, talking about a little business on this podcast. We've been talking a lot about plant medicines and stuff, but we're going to get into some business, get into some life lessons, and, uh, and see where this goes. But welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. It's great to be here. I love this place. It's amazing. Yeah, appreciate that. So take us back to the old days, to the early days. Like what, you know, what allowed you to find yourself in a channel where you could create this brand, which looks like it's going to be you know, a big piece of the legacy that you're going to leave? Well, um, it happened like most things, completely by accident, mm-hmm. total fluke. <laughs> uh, I'd been in uh, family business, grew up with, you know, entrepreneurs around and uh, my brother owned a clothing company. And so I kind of worked with him throughout growing up and one away so to university. clothing was the family business? Well, one of the family members. Uh-huh. My dad was always dipping into everything, restaurants and racehorses and all that stuff. And my middle brother owns so a big really, restaurant group. And So your dad was not risk averse. Yes, my basically. dad was not. My dad was Working a big gambler. racehorses yeah. and restaurants. I'll tell you what. I mean, from the time I was old enough to uh, to think, I was, I was playing poker and cards and uh-huh. learning about the stock market and learning about how to run businesses. And I started working at his office, a tax law firm my dad was like a total you know drop out hippie go to work in like Birkenstocks and a Hawaiian shirt and golden retriever under the desk and I started working for him I mean as soon as I could take the bus by myself after school Mm -hmm. I'd be there sharpening pencils and photocopying and you know eventually worked my way all the way up to where I'd have my own you know clients and would be doing tax preparation and and uh, advising a small group of friends and and uh, trying to you know help out at his office wherever I could and learning whatever I could. Yeah, that's interesting because I had a few years a little bit similar, not in, not on the tax side, but I was on the investment banking side. So in doing that, you had to pay close attention to the numbers. Like you had to understand internally how a business would work from a financial perspective. Which at the time, you know, I could see where it was valuable because if you're pitching a company to to any other further investors, they need to know those details. They need to know the run rate. They need to know the profitability, the margins, all of that. And I think that experience has been really valuable. Would you say that those years spent back in the day looking at the numbers, looking at the tax returns, getting in there, has that been super helpful for you in your own 100%. Endeavors? And I mean, I, I had a kind of uh, appreciation and an aptitude for numbers right from, you know, I, I could do when I was in you know grade one, I could do my brother's homework and they were, their math homework and they were in grade five and seven. So I could, I was actually tutoring one of my brothers in his math homework right from the time I was six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. But um, the really invaluable things, my dad was just a great businessman, uh, but also a great entrepreneur and, a, and is a good dude. So he taught me cultural, business cultural lessons that I still uh, utilize today, which is I want, 
you know, I want to hire people who are smarter than me. I want to surround myself with people who are looking to do great things and have great skills. And, uh, and also I want them to have good lives. So right. I mean, very similar. We, we talk about this and, you know, I want my employees to be happy, healthy people and, and really partners. I want them to be wanting to really grow our business and love our business. And, and then just, you know, by, you know, all these circumstances that came around that allowed us to build this business with all these great icons. We have very interesting topics to work with and interesting people to work with. And so we are able to attract, you know, people who have like-minded philosophies and are excited about the content that we work with. So how did, how did you start to get and build these relationships? I mean, because your, your Rolodex of in, individuals who you are connected with is one of the most impressive of anybody I've ever seen. So where did that begin? How did that start? Um, we, so I started a creative agency about 17 years ago called Copacetic. Uh-huh. And again, in the right place at the right time, we were working with a bunch of small booze companies in our city in Vancouver, BC, Canada. and. A couple of them got acquired by bigger groups. And so we kind of grew from local to regional to national to international by way of just being attached to these uh, embryonic groups, these beginning groups. And then when we got into the bigger companies, uh, the stuff that we gravitated towards naturally and that we, we have a, a, an aptitude for is history and and bringing historical events into a contemporary setting or packaging for mm-hmm. consumers or fans or whatever in, in terms of making it resonate or, or be a little bit more sticky than kind of, I mean, typically right now, retro and vintage are popular trends, but it, it, everybody's trying to capitalize on that. And so they do it in a real kind of hokey way. They like throw, right. a, they throw a distress filter on it and say, vintage yeah or try our retro something it's like they speak it they say it to you instead of letting the product speak and my partner who's a creative genius is a historian and archivist and he just has a way of digging these stories out and we we started doing that for these booze brands so you know miller along with with some strong field research you're of course of course yeah we have to have all aspects right (laughs) marketing you have to understand the entire (laughs) bill if you you couldn't drink a 24 pack of their (laughs) beer well that was i had to do the market research myself uh yeah (laughs) as any good as any good individual would yeah and they they like to tell us you know they're uh, it's funny with the products you know, these guys, the big booze companies, and one of the reasons why we eventually kind of petered out there is, you know, they're always like, they'll spend $30 million on a marketing campaign trying to hit the coolest people in the world and the good looking athletic, all this. And then they wanted, they whittled down to the crappiest kind of products possible. And it's like, well, wait a second, you want to hit these people. Right. And then let's say for one of their promotional shirts, they'll make a shirt with a logo that they'll like on the cheapest shirt they can find, commoditize it and then give it to these kids and the kids will never wear it. Yeah. Um, but you know, for us, we gravitated towards the sports side of the business and we eventually started doing sports marketing for them with the NHL and Major League Soccer and the Olympics. And that opened up a ton of doors, that Rolodex. You know, we got to meet a lot of people and we eventually became the point of contact with a lot of the leagues and the teams and and would start doing what we do for those teams. And then, uh, you know, hitting that kind of retro field between the brands that we work with and the leagues and the teams, we'd create these really kind of, you know, intertwined, unique programs, mm-hmm. uh, art-wise, creative-wise. 
And after a while, we decided that, wow, we're, this is actually resonating with people and why don't we try and do this for ourselves and get away from the client side business and, and create something that we can actually own equity in and, and build for our own futures. And, and then, so was there a specific moment where you just remember like, you know what, we got to do this on our own, like that, that turning point where you're just like, this yeah. is it. So that happened in probably like the worst time in the history economically. That was like, aside from the Great Depression, that happened for us in about 2008. And uh -huh. then the markets fell apart. And so we were like, okay, let's scale this back. Let's keep our agency so you business. So you wanted to go, you thought about going big. You jumped in a little bit and then... Got kicked in the crackers. And then, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you got, you know, every once in a while you get those... Uh, those reality checks of just like, wait a second, young man, you take a step back. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to world markets and the stock market and all of a sudden, you know, I was so focused in building and we started getting into the licensing world. These guys were approaching us and asking us if we'd take their license and do what we were doing for these brands uh, out in the marketplace. And, and then it was a really difficult time in 2008, 2009, 2010, we ended up having to really hunker down and keep our core business of agency stuff because it was bringing cash and allowed us to survive. Mm -hmm. And we were, uh, you know, a business that had grown to be quite successful, but still in a small business scale. So, you know, we were operating off our own cash flow, and we didn't want. We're, I'm a little bit risk averse, you know, small business. So, I wanted to be steady and stable. And and then we kind of about 2010, we we regrouped and took another stab at building, but this time with the lessons we had learned, we did it a lot more conservatively and and built while we kept our business going. Mm -hmm. And then in 2012, you know, all this time you're talking about that Rolex, I mean, all this time I was flying around. So I was in Vegas, I was in, you know, and the people that we're friends with have so many friends and they're, you know, we've been the, you know, the benefactors or the sure. recipients of such great, support and goodwill and people have been super kind about introducing us to their friends and and uh paving the way and so you know you accumulate quite a rolodex after 17 years of traveling well yeah and then <laughs> being the type of guy that you are as well because a lot of people can meet somebody but those connections don't stick i'm gregarious and yes, i think i'll go <laughs> and it's and it's this it's a kind of um i don't know if it's something that you can learn but something you can certainly learn from by observation it's it's an attitude of not constant, not trying to take something right away, like not not angling, not looking for anything. And that's, you know, something you notice when you meet, you can put yourself in any situation. And no matter how pretty the girl is, she's not going to feel like you have a one ounce of creepiness in her. <laughs> and no matter how famous the guy is, it's not going to you're not going to have any of that, any of that weirdness that comes associated with it. and that that's comfortable for people that brings the enjoyment level, you know, good conversation, some laughs and not feeling like you're trying to take something right away. And I think that's something yeah. that people miss. Well, there's so when I first started, uh, when I came back from university, I started working for my brother and he had some partners uh, that were a bit shifty. And he was like, I don't understand. Like, we seem to be doing a good amount of business, but we're not profitable. You know, can you look at the numbers? And, and they were really being held tight by his partners. I wasn't allowed to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, you know, I can't, I was 27 or 28 years old out of university. Um, I was supposed to go do my MBA, uh, in Arizona, the university of Arizona, uh, Thunderbird school of business. And, all gung-ho and was home for the summer and 
I started, you know, I was working for like five bucks an hour for my brother. You know, I was, I was only paid for a few hours a day, but I would stay on and work the rest of the day just trying to learn about what was going on in his business. It was a clothing business. And, um, you know, as I started kind of digging around, I, I, I learned more and more about what was happening, but they really wanted to groom me for sales. Mm-hmm. And they're, they had like a sales manual of like, you know, like kind of vacuum salesman or IBM, like foot in the door technique. I was just like, I hate when fucking people try and sell me stuff. Yeah. I don't want to be sold anything. I don't want people listening to me to try and manipulate what I'm, what I'm thinking or what I'm saying to try and get me to buy something. And the whole, that kind of formulated the whole, you know, business culture is we want to make stuff that people appreciate it and we don't want to ram it down their throat. And I mean, again, we're a Canadian company with those kind of soft Canadian sensibilities. <laughs> we're, a, we're a gentle people. But, um, you know, we wanted to make something really, really good. And I mean, for me, I had a bit of training that my father was and is the best cross-border tax specialist in the country in Canada. So, you know, he's a U.S. trained lawyer and then uh, as a Canadian tax specialist. So all of the actors, all of the athletes, everybody who came through Vancouver as an expat, if they were making money in Canada and were U.S. citizens, they had to speak to my dad. Mm -hmm. So I was working at his office, so I would meet all of these people. And my dad was, he told me, taught me a lesson when I was very young where these guys were coming in in two and $3,000 custom suits. And, and he was in a Hawaiian shirt and shorts with a smelly dog under the desk. And I was like, aren't you embarrassed? And he's like, why would I be embarrassed? Look at how uncomfortable these guys are. And they have to come to me. Yeah. So he was like, be good at what you do. And you can be however you want to be in life. You don't have to. If you're excellent at it, they have to come to you. It's the truth. Excellence speaks yeah. a lot louder than your wardrobe or your yeah, watch my, or, or anything like that. And my partner, um, who's, who's like the opposite of what you'd expect. I mean, he's creating these campaigns and this art and these you know, amazing marketing, uh, you know, pieces for some of the biggest brands and icons on the planet. He's a farm boy from Northern Ontario, from outside of Ottawa. You know, he he didn't have a computer until he went to university mm-hmm. and he creates a lot of this stuff by hand, but he is so good. When I saw his stuff, I fell in love with his art. I was just like, the world needs to see this stuff. And so when I'm when I meet people, when I'm out with people, um, a, I've never looked at celebrities or people of influence as anything different than just regular people. Uh, you know, I had exposure to famous people when I was younger and, and I was always taught that they're the same as you and I. So, you know, unless they're saving lives or doing something exceptional, they're just talented at what they're doing. Sure. Uh, and they're the same as you and I with the same insecurities. And, and the generally, same even if they are saving lives, they're yeah. just the same as you and I, yeah, they're exactly. just good at that. You yeah. know, like. Exactly. To meet someone like Tim Kennedy, that's a great fighter and yeah. also great at what he did in, in service of our country. But yeah. it's just, this, it's just there's human. something a little yeah, different yeah, about yeah, him, yeah. you know, and these people. There's, well, there's, there's definitely something a little different you know, about Tim Kennedy. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the core, it, yeah. you treat them all the same, all just with, you know, with kindness, respect, and, and yeah. normalcy. You yeah. know? No need to get all all worked up in the, in the aura that surrounds them. I, I had a strong lesson about that, and the lesson was creating a demon out of somebody by making them into a unicorn. Like, 
this idea of a unicorn is this magical, fantastical creature, right? As soon as you make an ordinary horse into a unicorn, you'll never relate with it properly because yeah. the horse knows it's just a horse, you know? Yeah. And these famous people, as soon as you bring that, you're this unicorn, you're this, not this regular guy that gets constipated and has yeah. trouble taking a shit sometimes <laughs> and wakes up in the middle of the night and they can't yeah. sleep and doubts themselves and has insecurities and all of these other argues factors. with your wife and argues the kid with doesn't their listen wife. to them and Someti else. Yeah, sometimes yeah. there's a world champion yeah. and their dick goes soft when they're having <laughs> sex with someone. Like normal yeah. shit. Like yeah. it happens to everybody. Yeah. They're not superheroes, yeah. you know? They're just a regular person. And as soon as you, you know, interact with them as a regular person, male, female, celebrity, whatever, the interaction is going to feel better to them and it's going to it's going to sit better and then everybody can relax but yeah. when you have this kind of unicorn fantasy with somebody yeah. it, it's never going to it's never going to yield into a genuine friendship yeah for sure. and, and it, for sure that's exactly what it is and so i mean i've always approached people as just humans and and you know we're either going to click or we're not going to click and we're going to get along or we're not going to get along and no need to force it no need to try hard you know you can't you can't uh uh, you can't put people on pedestals. You can't, you got to just be who you are and do your thing. I mean, you know, on the work side of things, I also have just tremendous confidence because of my partner. You know, it's mm -hmm. like when I'm actually trying to, to meet and, and talk to somebody about working with them, I'm not really having to sell them. I mean, they're seeing what we're doing. I can show them the work that we've got and, and I'm pretty confident they're going to like it. And, and what we're doing is uh, something that's going to be good for them. So I've also, you know, I don't have a lot of like uh, chase in me. I'm not chasing people down and I didn't have to refine to hound people and convince them to mm -hmm. come on board. It's like, you know, we can, I can just explain what we're doing and it either resonates with them or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, we're not meant to work together and you're a great person and go do your thing and I'll go do mine totally. and life keeps going for all of us. The world keeps spinning. It does indeed. It does indeed. So. Go into some of these. You've got in this process, we've been talking a lot about these individuals and people may not have an idea of who these individuals are. And, and you've been very fortunate to meet a variety of people. And what is some of the what are some of these people and what's some of the wisdom that you've been able to gain outside of the business side of things just from interacting with people like Muhammad Ali and all of the greats that you've interacted with? Uh, it's been surreal, right? I mean, these are my childhood heroes and to get a chance to to work with them is you know, beyond an honor and, and again, getting to actually meet them and interact with them and their families. And it, it you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta pinch yourself and just say, what the fuck am I doing here? Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, these, these are the people that kind of forged a lot of my personality and informed a lot of my loves and passions in life. And, you know, to be able to work with, uh, Bruce Lee's daughter Shannon and have her just so open and supportive and kind and you know getting to go in and sit at his desk and look through his books and what he you know his writings and really start learning more uh, you know about his philosophies and and sitting down talking with Mike Tyson flying pigeons like it you know it's just a it's a wacky world it's uh, mm -hmm. and again it all comes back to the same thing they're all just people they yeah. put their leg their pants on one leg at a time and go out and face the world and do their business and handle their handle their shit and have their families and and uh but you know it's been uh it's been such a amazing journey you know to go from creating this little passion project and and always kind of thinking that there's an opportunity for this to be become something but 
you know, in a small business and without really having, I didn't have any huge financial ambitions. I wasn't trying to get rich. I don't want to be famous. As you know, I don't usually do. Yeah, your a first lot podcast. Yes, my first podcast. <laughs> you had to. Yeah. You had to take a good twenty second pause when I asked like, you yesterday. Hmm, I don't huh. usually do this kind of thing, but uh, for you, yeah, of course, I'd love to do this. But it's it's a um, you know our, we're an anti brand. We're in the background. My partners and I, you know, we don't we don't ever seek limelight or attention. It's all just trying to be a conduit to. You know, let the let a light be shone on these people that built the house that contemporary champions live in. So, you know, Roots of Fight is the first installment, and then we're going to branch out and expand. Uh, you know, the same formula into baseball and basketball and football, and and really try and uh, you know, if you look at how big baseball is and how big football is and basketball, these sports, and to really think all these these people making you know 250 million dollar contracts you know we're gonna do the same thing in fighting which is shine a light on jackie robinson and babe ruth and the people that that built the house that these kids are sure are running amok in sure. <laughs> so let's do a little lightning round here if you were because you've got to know not only do you work with these guys for the clothes but do you also go in depth and do little documentaries and create a story and get to know them or their family or if you had to just say, just distill down to a sentence or two, the essence of what, and there's many things obviously, but one of their main, you know, secret sauce is for being successful, you know, and just kind of boil that down after getting to know them. Like, for example, for me, after getting to know Rogan, I would say if I had to boil down the essence of what has made him so successful is relentless self-reflection, relentless and relentless energy, like the combination of both of those has created, you know, along with other things, the man that we know is Joe Rogan, just yep. constant self-reflection and tireless energy. You know, so, so let's go through a little lightning round here with some of the people, some of the people. If I had know. that energy, I'd take over the world. <laughs> no shit, <Yeah>. right? <laughs> no shit. He's fucking, a, yeah. he's a phenom and he yeah. is taking over the world. Um, <clears throat> all right. So Muhammad Ali. Oh, this brash young boxer, something <laughs> to see. Yeah. I mean, his, uh, his tireless devotion to philanthropy and his, you know, relentless ability to stand up to anyone, anything, anytime and fight, uh, not just physically fight, but, you know, fighting for people's rights, fighting for people who don't have a voice. Uh, I think that is what defines him. And, uh, and really Almost becoming a, the people's a never champ. back down yeah. kind of attitude. Huh? It's what made him the people's champ is that he wanted to be bigger than himself. He wanted to impact the world. And I don't know if there's another human on the planet that has impacted the world as much as he has. I mean, you know, obviously Nelson Mandela and all these people who've done incredible things, but Muhammad Ali has for so many generations permeated and touched so many people, inspired so many people, uh, at, you know, He's an incredible, incredible person. You know, and people, one of the interesting things about him is that, you know, people sometimes believe that you need to always have this, wear this humility around yourself, you know, even if it's not even genuine, yeah. you know, like you have to cloak yourself in humility or people will, you know, people will get angry, they'll get jealous and they'll try and take you down. 
you know, you look at someone like Muhammad Ali, he didn't cloak himself in false humility. Yeah. You know, he projected what he believed and it was genuine. Someone like what Conor McGregor is doing. He'll yeah. get you'll get some hate and I'm sure Muhammad had some hate in oh, his yeah. day. Yeah, he's not pristine. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. But the genuineness of doing it, when you believe it, yeah. that's what people really want. And that's gonna propel you a lot more. Not not you faking it, you know, faking like you know you're something else oh i'm not a star here look yeah. i'm in this cloak you can't yeah. see my light you know if you're a fucking star yeah. shine motherfucker shine like wow <laughs> yeah. i am the greatest yeah. you know like go for it yeah if you believe it go for it if you're faking it don't do it then that's cocky then it's arrogant then it's all the other bad things that go with it say what you believe yeah you when know? we interview these guys it is 100 percent across the board the one thing that everybody has in common is confidence, is an overwhelming sense of serenity and self, self-confidence that they, you know, Mike Tyson used to, you know, when we interviewed him and talked to him about, you know, entering the ring, he was like, I don't care if you brought a gun, <laughs> I am going through you. There is no possibility of me losing this. That never even entered into a, now in his life, he had great humility because he had all sorts of fears and, you know, everything around the, his upbringing and what he went through and the, you know, the horrible circumstances that he faced as a young person in Brownsville, you know, mm-hmm. a very tough place where he was subjected to all sorts of nastiness. But, you know, when it came down to walking into that ring, he was he was a different person. Yeah. And there was nothing that was going to stop him when he was at his height. The only thing that ended up bringing him down was himself. That was it. It's the only sure. thing that could bring him down. And I think just to touch back on the humility, it's not not to have humility. You need yeah. to know your limits. Yeah. But it's not having false humility. You know, like no need yeah. for this false pretending bullshit. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah just, just be who you are, <laughs> yeah. you know. And all the champions, it's like what you say about your shirts. Yeah. Don't speak about it. Just be it. Yeah. Just be genuinely what that essence is yeah. and you'll be all right. You know, the people who... You know someone's not really tough when the first thing they tell you is how tough they are. You know, like the really tough people, they don't need to say yeah, they, shit. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, yeah. it goes extends to ping pong. Yeah. I know, like my my mother was a professional tennis player, and I grew up playing racket sports my whole life. I'm not that good, you know, but I'm good enough that unless you really played ping pong, I'm gonna beat you. Like yeah. that's just the, that's just the bottom. I still want to play you with your shoe. <laughs> yeah, all I'm right. Get I'm a down. racket. You're gonna get I'm a down. shoe. We got playing. We got it. We got a table at the court. <laughs> but it's funny, like even with that, like the people who are like, yeah, I play a bit. I'm yep. like, oh shit, we're in for it now. Yep. But the people are like, oh yeah, I'm gonna fucking wipe your wipe the floor with you on the yep. thing. I'm like, bring it on, right, buddy. Yeah. Like, good luck with that. Well, the whole thing with the toughness, I think, and that, that the great thing about martial arts teaching you that that confidence and that serenity is people who are projecting to be tough, I think, are trying to intimidate and hopefully stem and stop somebody from doing what really it, it does the opposite it agitates people yeah and i think people who really are confident in their abilities to protect themselves they don't need to say anything because they're confident in yeah. protecting themselves no doubt yeah. all right bruce lee what's his secret sauce oh man again you know they're they're all going to have a lot in common mm-hmm. in terms of that confidence and again there's a superhuman uh drive and will you know he was he was uh, so determined to be his authentic self, to be an individual, and to let his light shine through. Nothing was going to stop him. 
And I mean, you see great footage of him in his own words talking about, you know, when he was going out for uh, Green Lantern or doing auditions in Hollywood, he was trying to be more Caucasian because he wanted to get parts. But as soon as he, uh, and, but he was like buttoned down and tight and rigid and he was, mm-hmm. he was not being himself. And as soon as he shed that skin and said, fuck it, I'm going to be Bruce Lee. I'm going to go out there. And he was, you know, constant self-introspection and self-reflection. And, you know, he was always trying to find out who he was and how to convey that authentic self to the world and let the world bask in his light. And Mm -hmm. he was a, you know, a deep thinker, a philosopher. He was a, you know, a a funny man, you know, he had a great sense of humor uh, and was a tireless worker, unbelievably driven. And when he got to the point with Enter the Dragon where he took that over and, and even when you know, wanting to, in his personal life, wanting to teach martial arts to non-Asian people, which was a big no-no yeah, big taboo. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, sharing the, the arts of, uh, of Asia with uh, the folk of, uh, of North America. You know, he, he broke through barriers at every level. And, and one of the biggest ones that we celebrate is, um, is he was the first, you know, openly to recognize that traditional martial arts were not enough in terms of fighting somebody outside of your style because you're only seeing one look each time. You're only seeing people that are studying what you're studying. And so he was like, well, what happens if a 140-pound farm boy from Iowa doesn't stand in a traditional kata when he's facing me but runs at me, tackles me, (laughs) and puts my ass on the ground because I only weigh 140 pounds? I'm going to get my ass handed to me. Yeah. And so he was the first person to start playing Which around. Which sounds like the first 10 years of the UFC. <laughs> yes, basically. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe actually not the uh, exact first yeah. 10 because then people were figuring out how not to get triangled from yeah. the bottom because they didn't know what yeah. the fuck these yeah. jiu-jitsu oh, players were doing. Him. Oh, yeah. I can't breathe. But then like maybe yeah. like the next 10 after the first three was yeah. just wrestlers just be yeah. like, okay. Yeah, I got a trick. Yeah, it's called double leg and smash. Yeah, you know people like Mark Kerr. Yeah, and then just, ground and pound. Oh. Just ground and pound. Yeah. But now you're seeing the evolution of what I think, you know, Bruce Lee eventually saw, which was yeah. training in all disciplines, which would allow all skills to come out. Yeah. I mean, you there was a period there was say, oh man, these fancy kicks they don't work. It's all bullshit. Yeah. We just saw, we were sitting together and we just saw Yair Rodriguez yeah. do a somersault <laughs> axe kick yeah. and land it. Yeah. And land it. Like, yeah. okay, if you can do that in live combat. I know? also just saw a highlight from that fight too that I missed when we were sitting watching it where he did like a kind of sweep spin around with his heel oh yeah tap, and then a spinning elbow and it was just like what the fuck was <laughs> that it was that. like matrix shit yeah <laughs> yes. totally but in, he can do that because yeah. he's trained in all the disciplines so now these things are coming back in and the timing of when to do them and and it's really a cool fucking thing to watch yeah and there are so many permutations everything opens up right all of a sudden you know, if you're not worried about being taken down or somebody's worried about you taking them down, you have so many, it just opens up so many other options for striking. Everything leads to a new pathway of opportunity. Yep. So the more versed and, and uh, well-rounded you are, and then you also get to start playing into your strengths where you, you can start setting people up to be uh, put in positions where you are your strongest yeah. because everybody has their own individual strengths and weaknesses that you know Bruce was like you got to accentuate those strengths you got to know them and you got to shore up your weaknesses 
Yeah, that famous, famous quote where you, I fear not the man who has 10,000 kicks, but the man yeah. who's practiced 10, 000, one, one kick, kick 10,000 yeah. times. Yeah. You know, that's, you have to be really great at something. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the middle of the road fighters are have difficulty is they're not so great at anything that they have that path to victory where if they get somebody in that in that spot they're done yeah you know they're toast in that and i think that's super important so accentuate those strengths you know get well-rounded on yeah and that's that's the thing in life you know and and me as an entrepreneur and someone running on it if we're doing total if we're promoting total human optimization you know you have to be well-rounded yeah we have our we have these certain areas where we're you know excellent best in the world you know like alpha brain yeah we've shown that that supplement is best in the world for what it's trying to do Um, but we have to be well-rounded on all the other things and ultimately strive to be world-class and everything but not be afraid to highlight these things that we can flat out put our put our money on the table and say here it is you know beat me at this good luck yeah but you're a visionary you have an open mind you're always trying to find you know, again, you're always trying to find those weaknesses and how do I get better at sure. them? What else is out there and what what else can we be doing to optimize humans? How can we get people better? And so when you have that mindset, you're open to everything. I mean, this is a big world. There's a no lot doubt. out there. So it's, you know, if you close yourself off and be like, oh, well, we can do these things really well. Let's just do these. Uh, then you get into, a, you know, a very closed situation and you're you limit. Well, yeah, sure. Or if you think that you're a master and not not a student anymore, yeah. you know that's the key of any masters. They know that they're perpetually a student. Yeah, you know, like the greatest greatest are always willing to learn. You know, George St. Pierre goes over and looks at Joe Rogan and sees him do that turning sidekick, oh, and video. becomes yeah. an instant student. Joe, yeah. like, show me how to do that. What's yeah. the angle? Like, yeah, so how do you move in it? And then they're instantly students. Same with John Jones. Anybody. Who's even though they're masters in their field, a lot of people think, "Oh, fucking this guy, fucking commentator." But they're yeah. always willing to learn, you know, because they have that. That is genuine humility. Yeah. Actually, it's not some false humility. You know, it's genuine. Like I'm always a student. There's so always something to learn. GSP is is a super student, an incredible athletic ability and tenacity, and how hard he works. John is a freak of nature. I mean, John <laughs> is just a whole different world. I mean, like. You go back, and I think it's his first or second fight where um, Izzy and Brandon were telling me, mm-hmm. like, he had seen somebody do uh, somebody catch a kick and do a spinning elbow. And he's like, I'm going to try that tonight. And it's like, whoa, let's stick with the game plan. And he is able to replicate. He can see it and replicate with his body in a way that, you know, most these guys are telling us, you know, Brandon, Izzy, they're telling us, like, I could work with somebody for six months, like a high level competitive athlete I could work with for six months and they wouldn't be able to do that in a fight. He yeah. watches it and can replicate it. Like the master pianist that hears the yeah, tune and exactly. can play That's, it all on the piano immediately. This is exactly how I describe it. When we, All the people that we've worked with that have at some point become not just world champions, but become the best at what they do. They've transcended and become not just an not just excellent at their sport or what they're doing, but have shown that they were dominant at some point. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are all sorts of boxing champions that have approached us to work with them and who've been world champions, but they weren't dominant champions that transcended just that moment. They were just the champion for a short while. 
we really try and focus on people who are iconic figures in their sports. But when we interview like Boss Rutan or BJ Penn or Rhonda or any of these people, you know, obviously Muhammad, they see things. It's a language. It's like music. They see it. They understand the body. They understand movement. It's different for them. Yeah. They just get it in a different way that makes sense. Boss Rutan never had traditional training in jiu-jitsu and then is submitting people in fights as if he were a black belt. Right. And he's fighting against guys who are black belts. And it's like, he was just like, well, after I, I watched a few videos and then I saw some people doing it and I thought, I'll try that yeah. in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're fighting a serious person who's trying to kill you, who's trained to do this to you and you're gonna just try it? You're gonna, like you haven't practiced it and become an expert at it, you just are gonna give it a go? Which is some combination of talent and unwavering belief. Of course, yeah. You know, that that just belief that, oh, I can do that. Like, I'm able to do that. Yeah, my, that, I mean, Mozart could hear, you know, and at four years old, and then, yeah. you know, play it so again. There's, so there's like almost supernatural talents yeah. that you run across in some of these people. And I think some of these greats certainly had that streak. And then yeah. the ones that really stood the test of time were the ones that took that, coupled it with belief, coupled it with training, coupled it with you know the the right kind of humility yeah and that to know that they can always learn more and that's what's made them you know the greatest of all time i'd say let's jump out of sports specifically what about someone like dwayne johnson the rock wow so he's he is a really inspirational figure you know he's a great guy he's been so incredibly supportive and generous and kind to us but he is so hardworking again this thread that goes through tireless energy the guy never sleeps um very down to earth you can sit and talk with him and he's just a regular dude just yeah cracking jokes making you laugh he has a wonderful ability to disarm people so you know like our first conference calls with him i got my whole team he's got his team and he is immediately breaking the ice alleviating any tension he's super goofy um you know and he is, um, you know, he is really driven to try and change the world. He wants, he wants people to get off their ass and get out and move and to try and be their best self. I mean, this is what I talked to you about where I think he's such a, a great ambassador connector with on it because um, he really, he doesn't just say it, he believes it. I mean, and he also dedicates a tremendous amount of energy and time to giving back to community and charity work and philanthropy and always trying, especially in terms of like trying to gain attention and, and, uh, and, um, uh, you know, appreciation for the military. And, and he really, he tries to make the world a better place every day. And he's got such enormous reach and then, and capacity. He seems to be he, I mean, he looks like a superhero. He kind of is a superhero. I mm -hmm. mean, he the the ability, capacity to to do everything that he does is staggering. Yeah, I mean, you hear stories of him doing kettlebell workouts on the plane, yeah. flying around the country doing film tour and whatever. Don't try whatever that. else he has to <laughs> do. Don't drop yeah, that hundred pound kettlebell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but on go. the plane, I'm just trying to make it through. I'm like, well, yeah. plane flight, boo! Yeah. <laughs> and he's just in there. Working, sweating, lifting kettlebells, eating and, half a buffalo, and yeah, right, 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 yeah. And I think one of the keys to that is when you have something greater than yourself that you're working towards, yeah, 
that's what gives you energy. You know, that to me, when I look back at the times that I'm most motivated, it's when I, I, you know, kind of plug in compassionately with my heart to the people that the people around me that I want to be able to be of service to. You know, when I have any kind of doubt, like, man, people suck. Like, I've gotten betrayed in my life a few times by people close to me. And it's very easy to take that and extrapolate that and spread that out to humanity in general. Yeah. Like, you know, fuck people. You know, yeah. you get that attitude because you just got hurt. And it's not just that person. It's it's people that let you down. You yeah. know, it's the world. This is a fucking savage world. Yeah. You know, you can make that leap, in the, even though it's just one or two people that have fucked with you. And in those periods, I get so demotivated because yeah. it's all it's all focused on myself. It's like, fuck everybody. It's just about me. And then at that point, I'm just stagnant. I'm like a pool of water with no current running through and, and everything gets really unhealthy. But when I'm motivated and my heart's open and I'm connecting, you know, you get tireless energy from that. Yeah. And that's really, I think, one of the main keys. I think that's what keeps me going on the schedule that I'm on most of the time too is hey I love all the people I get to meet I get to meet and I'm I'm afforded this incredible opportunity to meet great people and and to meet people who have done great things and and to see like I was at the the Ali Humanitarian Awards in Louisville a couple of weeks ago and you know I got to actually spend time with Muhammad and Lonnie and see everything that they're doing and really facilitating more and more good and and that is an amazing part of you know, being connected to what we're what we're doing, and um, you know, when you start seeing it, I mean, it started for us as this passion project where we see a lot of young people today, a lot of these celebrities, uh, uh, a lot of these celebrity athletes, they don't really appreciate or understand what how they arrived at where they are and what it took to get there, and the battles that these people face, like. Muhammad and mm -hmm. Jackie Robinson and people who literally had to fight every step of the way to make it so these things are possible. And, you know, there are, a lot of them are forgotten and they're not talked about. And, you know, you can see there's incredible documentaries and stories about these people, but the world has changed. It's digital consumption. It's, you know, people have shorter and shorter attention spans. And so, you know, we really thought it was uh, an opportunity for us to try and tell these stories and shine a light on these people and give them the respect and tributes that were, they were due. Older generations could have access to it and really people who experienced what they did in, in their own lifetime. But then we could package it in a way that would be consumable and digestible and educational and entertaining to younger people. Mm -hmm. And so you'd get this mix of these people getting the respect and tribute that they deserve and which we felt was bigger than ourselves. And that was this, you know, really great thing to be a part of, but it's also stuff that all of these people now are getting to see. And like, like me, when I saw my, my partner's art, I was like, that stuff's just pretty. I like looking at that stuff. Yeah. That makes my life better by seeing that sure. and really just wanting to create a vehicle to allow him to do that. You know, you're getting to, to kill a few birds with one stone and you get these people now that are able to pay tribute to these people and where it came from but also get something that they enjoy in life as well yeah creating a positive exchange for sure yeah. so you have now um you know a very successful business on the way to be even more successful but tell us about some of the the real challenges that you had in this where where the times where you thought man i don't know if this is going to work or 
you know, what are some of the real challenging moments you had to push through? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the economic turndown really put us in our place and uh, humbled us, made us really, you know, even though we were always very confident in our abilities and what we were doing, it really let us know that, you know, there are factors out there in the world that can affect you and, and mm-hmm. you can't, can't get too big for your britches. So we kept a really kind of uh, low profile, humble, hardworking approach. Just, you know, I always like to use the baseball analogy. I just like to hit singles. I just want to hit singles. Every time I get up to the plate, I want to connect with the ball. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to go out there and just fly around and meet new people. And you never know where anything will lead. You don't force anything. You just put yourself out there and keep rolling. And, um, you know, for me, for us as a company, you know, we finally started getting our feet wet, but we kept our day jobs. We did it as a passion project, you know, believed in it, kept forging forward. But, you know, when we finally launched the brand, um, you know, 2012, January, we launched for Ali's 70th birthday. You know, we built, we kept growing, but uh, we were heavily involved with the UFC at the time. And, you know, that's how we kind of got our launch was we, we were positioned as the pinnacle of the evolution of combat sports and martial arts was the UFC. And we had a lot of friends fighting and Joe was super supportive and mm-hmm. Dana, but you know, that whole landscape was changing. The whole UFC fan base and uh, you know, the terrible t-shirts that were out there with that sport. And, and I don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Skulls and crossbones <laughs> and pit bulls and yeah. Foil. Yeah. <laughs> Foil. Lots of foil. Explosion. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the bedazzling, um, but you know, we still, you know, took a lot to get a foothold and we had to learn again, the hard way that, uh, you know, you got to stay within your game and, uh, you know, we didn't want to sell to any big venture capital groups or, you know, succumb to one of the big other groups who wanted to maintain the integrity. So we didn't want to partner with any of the big brands and, uh, we couldn't do everything at once. And so we sacrificed uh, financial freedom and economic security. Uh, you know, I had sold my house to build this business. I, you know, I downgraded car. I, you know, moved my family into a small place. You know, we took some very big risks and, uh, and decided instead of trying to build distribution and marketing and sales, which we view as an entire separate business, is we were going to focus 100% on building brand and getting awareness and really see what we could build. And if we built it right, the financial and economic benefits would come from that. So mm-hmm. we, we really, to this day, I think we only sell the five or six retailers. Uh, we've said no to over a thousand retailers globally. So uh, everyone that's approached us, approached us from all over the world, we don't sell to any of them. We've created our own channel. And then through our partnership, we did a couple of collaborations with Under Armour, which got us quite a lot of attention. And then uh, our, uh, you know, being the recipients of all the kindness and generosity from Dwayne Johnson, who's got such a big following and fan base. And we've managed to organically build our our social media and our, you know, fan base and and create something now that is sustainable. And, and now we're going to start kind of branching out and adding categories, adding products, but we've learned through, uh, you know, actual hard line experience to stay within your game and to 
really have the conviction to build with the integrity that you see for yourself and not to stretch yourself too thin. Yeah. It's a lot of wisdom in there. And I think, you know, one of the key things is you mentioned the instant gratification that we've become accustomed to. And if you're in it for that, this is the wrong game. If you're trying to build a business, you know, good luck with that. You know, things take a long time. You have to build and there'll be spurts where everything goes and explodes. But people don't realize how much it's taken to get to that. How many failures, how much has all been built. Like in this book that I'm writing now, I kind of trace back my whole life was really a preparation for on it. And yeah, in July of 2011, when we launched Alpha Brain, there was this little, you know, rocket ship ride that, that we went on right out of the gate. But it wasn't just the rocket ship. You got to look at everything else that had prepared that, all of the failures, all of the lessons, yep. all of the things that had gone on before that and count that, you know, count that in the timeline. We talk about it regularly is that all, all of those trials and tribulations of working with big corporate groups and just getting our ass kicked by, you know, people stealing our ideas and using our concepts with other groups when we were doing creative agency work. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have a partnership with somebody else and so they'll use your ideas with another group and they know mm-hmm. if you come after them, you may win that battle, but they're going to win the war because then they just won't give you any business. Yeah. So you're kind of you're always kind of beaten down and and kept in your place. And, uh, you know, we talk about if we didn't learn to deal with those hardships and to persevere, it's very much, you know, it's a life is fighting through adversity. You've mm-hmm. got to you got to have a you got to have the conviction and the will and the, the ability to withstand a lot of storms and and all, be grateful for it. Yeah, Resistance is what creates the greatness within. Like, yeah. Go try lifting weights on the moon. It's Pressure gonna take makes you, diamonds. It's going to take you fucking forever. <laughs> you know, like you just can't load yeah. up the bar enough when yeah. there's no gravity and there's yeah. no force to yeah. create the resistance that causes the adaptation of the muscle. It's the same yeah. with your spirit. It's the same with your courage. It's the same, the same thing. Yeah, too much and you might break. You might yeah. strain a muscle, right? But the right amount of steady resistance, as long as you give yourself time to recover, is going to make a stronger human being. Oh yeah, we, I mean, one really fun example, we had an investor, small investor, small ownership, but he wielded a lot of power in our business. Mm-hmm. And um, he was kind of holding us hostage. And he would be like, why are you going on all these meetings and you're not coming back with like, with sales, like with paper, you're not coming back with like, he's a traditional sales guy, high net worth individual. And he'd be like, why aren't you coming back with orders? Like, what's the point of going on there? And I tried to explain him like, well, you know, I'm meeting a lot of different people and it's all part of our great plan and what we're trying to build. And you never know who you're going to meet or where things will lead to what's happening, uh, what's going to happen from it. But I just know intrinsically, I know innately that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I believe in that. I know I'm going there. It's around what we're building this is how I meet people. This is, and you never know who you're going to meet, where it's going to come, what relationship, what relationship it'll lead to and how it'll uh, be part of your life moving forward, whether it's personal or professional or business, which is another reason I never really go after, you know, trying to meet people for business. It just seems ridiculous to me. Mm. Everything in life is relationships. It doesn't matter what aspect of your life you need to be out there. If you don't, if you're not meeting people and engaging with people, you're never really learning. You're never really growing. You're never getting exposed to new ideas, to yeah. new concepts, to new realities, to what, out, what is out there in the world. And 
business is one of those things. Personal life, it's it, it stretches into all aspects of your being. Yep. And so I never looked at it as I had to fly somewhere to try and get a sale or I needed to land a customer or land a, an icon or anything. I always just look at it as I'm going out there to meet people. Yeah, it's the long game approach. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's a Chogyam Trumpa has a quote of a warrior's decency is the absence of strategy. You know? <laughs> That's a great quote. Yeah, yeah. and it's like you, you think about that, and, and some people are like, oh, well, that is a strategy, bro. Yeah. The absence of strategy is a strategy. <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. But take like the essence yeah. of what he's <laughs> yeah. saying there, like showing up. Yeah. yeah, you may have some plans, some things, but just showing up, like hands open, like, hey, I'm here to meet you. Yeah. Whatever happens is cool. You know, and then you figure out the figure out the win-win. You know, figure out that best situation that's going to be a mutual benefit, and just go with that. Hey, and ninety percent of the time, I'm actually meeting people that I wasn't planning on meeting. Yeah, somebody gets brought to dinner, or you know, you're sitting next to somebody, or you're on a plane with somebody. I mean, it just it, that's just how how the world works. It's not no matter how much you plan and try to get something. It's not always going to work. First of all, you know, and you're going to be contrived. Yeah, you're going to be thinking you're going to be too much inside your own head about trying to achieve this goal, and you're going to miss everything else that's going on around you. You're going to miss all of the other things that are available out there that were not planned, mm -hmm. and that you're just not open to because you're so focused. You you put your energy into this one thing. I mean, this is. I mean, again, I truly hate being sold. I don't want somebody telling me yeah. what I want. I'm a big boy. I know what I want. I can find things and I have an open mind, so I'll discover the stuff. People showing me something that could be interesting to me is different. Yeah. But it's like, you know, all of that stuff about going on business trips and all these things, I never look at it like that. It's always just going to have new experiences and meet new people. Well, I'm glad you came out for this experience, my friend. It's been awesome to have you out in Austin, connect with you in Houston and New York. Um, where can people find your stuff, man? Where can they follow you guys? rootsoffight.com is our website and then uh, all of our social channels you or youtube uh twitter instagram facebook are all roots of fight beautiful and Thanks. as soon as uh maybe after i cook you this dinner tonight at the house maybe i can get a, my own shipment of roots of fight stuff so i can start rocking it out <laughs> i here. think we can get you <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the meal yeah for sure that sounds good thank you so much everybody for tuning in thank you jesse i appreciate it and thank for, you, for dropping the wisdom and Keep doing what you're doing, my brother. You Look, too, brother. Yeah, Thank we'll you very connect. much for We'll connect me. again maybe on the On It podcast. Yeah, I'd love it. Talk talk a little bit more about... Uh, now that my cherry's broken. Get you going. I'm going to be loose. Get you on the circuit. <laughs> for sure. Peace. I'd like to acknowledge the company that is the expression of so many things I love. Onnit.com. O-N-N-I-T.com. And also Wearspace.com with two S's. Putting out some really dope clothes and supporting my favorite charities. Lastly, please check out my blog, aubreymarcus.com, for the latest in all the ventures happening in my world. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend, leave a review, and let's make this positivity contagious. Thanks for tuning in.